0: were we were thinking about the story we're looking at today and our sermon series resolved in Daniel chapter 6 verses 1 through 16 and we kind of imagined what would this story look like today maybe somewhat different than that but likely many of the emotions that characters in our story exercised and felt and some of the habits are very much 2014 things that we struggle with and as we look at our story today We're gonna talk about how to have a life that matters, how to have a life that means something. I won't forget several years ago, I was doing uh, some counseling at a juvenile detention center and I I was with several other believers and we would sit in a room and wait for the young men to come in and they would pair us off with one person and I sat and talked with this one 15-year-old boy that had gotten himself in some trouble and I asked how it was going and I talked to him about the Lord and I asked him what he wanted to do when he went to get out of here. And he said, I don't know. He, but he looked at me about as serious as anyone has ever looked at me. But he said, I want to be somebody. And I want to do something. The, the, the thrust of his heart was, you know what? I've done nothing that matters at all. <laughs> I've been involved in things that have been totally Meaningless, and I'm ready to do something that matters. Maybe some of you feel that way. Maybe you've known the Lord for several years and you're still saying, I want to live a life that's always full of meaning. Some of you may be in a place in your spiritual journey where you know you haven't found what you're looking for, and there is an empty hole in your heart, and you're ready for a life that matters. Well, as we look at our story today, one of the first things we're going to talk about is. What a meaningless life looks like. I'm going to read, first of all, the first eight verses of what might be a familiar story to many of you in Daniel chapter 6. It pleased Darius to appoint 120 satraps to rule throughout the kingdom, with three administrators over them, one of whom was Daniel. The satraps were made accountable to them so that the king might not suffer loss. Now Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satrap by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. At this, the administrators and the satraps tried to find ground for charges against Daniel and his conduct of government affairs, but they were unable to do so. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. Finally, those men said, we will never find any basis for charge against this man, Daniel, unless it has something to do with the law of his God. I'll read those next verses in a moment, but one of the things we note in this passage is that a meaningless life, first of all, A under number one, is full of envy. Yes, it was plain old envy that we see in the first four verses of this particular uh, situation. You see, Daniel and two others are basically serving as the three administrative officials under King Darius. By the way, there is some historical uh, difference of, uh, of opinion as to who this character Darius was in history. Some say he's sort of an unknown leader or governor of the new area of Babylon that Cyrus the Great of Persia appointed until he could get there. Some say it could be a surname or another name for Cyrus the Great himself. But there's a little bit of uncertainty as to who exactly, historians agree, who Darius was. But nonetheless, it seems as though two of the satraps, or vice-governors, so to speak, were bilking some money from the king, or he wasn't certain how it was everything was going. But Daniel was exemplary, and so he wanted Daniel to be his vice-governor exclusively, and for everything to run through him, and for everyone to report To him. And it mustered up something that's not uncommon in our day and in our own hearts, and that's simply that of envy. Now, maybe you felt that pinch before. Maybe you felt it when you were a teenager differently than you do now, but we don't outgrow our struggles with jealousy and envy. Someone has something that we don't have. Someone may possess a gift or a blessing or a benefit that you wish you had. And the more you begin to think of it and churn your mind, and when your mind goes neutral, you're thinking about how you were passed over or you didn't get this and someone else did, and it does horrendous things to our spiritual life. Matter of fact, the book of Proverbs has much negative to say about envy. In 27.4, it says, Anger is cruel and fury overwhelming. But who can stand before jealousy? In other words, it says jealousy can be more dangerous than fury or anger. We sometimes pass over jealousy as a no-big-deal emotion. But the Bible says it's a dangerous sin. Matter of fact, Proverbs also says in 14, verse 30, that a heart of peace gives life to the body, but envy, it rots the bones. So when you realize and and sense the oncoming of that emotion of envy in your life, don't pass over it as something of no consequence. Stop right there and say, Lord, I'm acknowledging my struggle with envy or jealousy toward this person or that person, and I give it to you. Lord, help me replace that envy with a spirit of contentment and gratitude for your goodness to me. By the way, you don't find thankful and content envious people because gratitude and rejoicing in God pushes that bitter envy out of our hearts. Now the problem with envy is that it has such a potential for other sins that can be even more damaging and what envy often leads to is the desire to injure or for the injure of other people and so a meaningless life also number one Uh, b under number one this pursues any way of ruining others now in in verse five they begin to plot and they said you know what we can't find anything against this guy and and we're not going to be able to find any dirt on him unless it has something to do with his faith and so they began their plot and in verse six through eight it says this so the administrators and the satraps went as a group to the king and said, O King Darius, live forever. The royal administrators, prefects, satraps, advisors, and governors have all agreed that the king should issue an edict and enforce the decree that anyone who prays to any god or man during the next 30 days, except you, O king, shall be thrown into the lion's den. And verse 8, Now, O king, issue the decree and put it in writing so that it cannot be altered in accordance with the laws of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be repealed. So King Darius put the decree in writing. Now, these men did not want to do the deed themselves. They were envious, they were desiring ruin, but they were also cowards. And so they said, let's get the king to do it. Let's get the blood off of our hands. But whatever it takes, we want this person out of the picture so we can run the country we want, how we want it to run, and we can have our stacks of cash returned to us. Now, it it seems to be a really long stretch from I'm feeling envy towards someone and I want them thrown into the lion's den. But the truth is, when our envy is nursed, when jealousy continues, we begin to root for the failure of others. Playwright Samuel Beckett was known for his success of his novels and plays, yet the story says it goes at home that his wife Never could appreciate his success. The more popular he became and the more sales he had, the more competition she felt with her husband. And she answered the phone when he was nominated in 1969 for a Nobel Literature Prize. And as she heard the news, she hung up the phone and said, this is awful. And of course it was the best news of his life, but there was such an envious spirit that she desired his failure rather than his success. Something should cause a check in our spirit if we ever rejoice when someone is doing poorly. If we're ever happy that someone has gone down, it should spark in us a holy awareness that we are going down a path of envy and are not desiring the success of other people obviously we don't want evil to succeed and obviously we don't want sin to be championed but oftentimes we don't want someone who is a brother or sister in christ to do well and we can desire their ruin and one of the things i tried to do uh growing up with when the boys were uh younger was i would try to get something they were interested in and get some kind of moral lesson from and i remember several years ago when uh, the boys were getting into basketball, I would read things from the sports page about maybe something self-centered someone said or maybe something bad that happened that we could get some lesson from. Well, uh, it was uh, playoff time, and, and one of the big uh, competitors to their favorite team, the Dallas Mavericks, w- were the Sacramento Kings at that time. And I remember reading the sports page and it said that Chris Weber of the Kings was injured. And I was going to say, hey, boys, look, this might be better uh, though it's a better situation for Dallas in the playoffs, we need to make sure we pray for Chris Webber for his healing. And I, before I get those words out of my mouth, I said, Hey, Chris Webber is injured, guys. And they were like, Yeah! And I was like, That didn't go like I planned for it to go. <laughs> we, we don't want to rejoice at the ruin of anyone. Well, as the story continued, we find out something else about a meaningless life is C under number one, that a meaningless life is quick to be self-centered. Look, look at what happened in verse 9. It didn't take much convincing. It just says, so King Darius put the decree in writing. You can imagine the scene. Hey, King, we got a great idea. Let's make it illegal for anyone to pray unless they're praying to you. You're the man. This is all your stuff, we're all your people, we all want to be totally sold out to you. You could be the center of everything that goes on in this country in a special way for the next 30 days. What do you think? He's like, where do I sign? (laughs) That's a great idea. I didn't think of that, but hey, let's do it. What's that going to hurt? Well, there was a very quick tendency for the king to think of himself rather than others and rather than God. And life doesn't matter. Life is filled with meaninglessness whenever the focus is on us. You know, the scripture gives us some hard words in 1 Corinthians 10, 24, when it says, Nobody should seek his own good, but the good of others. Are you committed to being a God-centered, other-centered person? And, and as you grow in being God-centered and other-centered you're going to experience unbelievable meaning and joy. But if you are stuck in high center, living life for yourself, raising your own flag, pointing to you, living in the light of your own interests, your life will be filled with a sense of emptiness and no ultimate meaning. Well, we we see this king who felt like he was a god. Because people were praying to him. And within a day, he goes from being a self-styled God to looking like a fool. In verse 10, it says, Now when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened toward Jerusalem three times a day. And he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God, just as he'd done before. Then these men went as a group and found Daniel praying and asking God for help. So they went to the king and spoke to him about the royal decree. Did you not publish a decree that during the next 30 days, anyone that prays to any God except to you, O King Darius, will be thrown into the lion's den? The king answered, The decree stands in accordance with the laws of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be broken. Then they said to the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king, or to the decree you put in writing. He still prays three times a day. And when the king heard this, he was greatly distressed. And he was determined to rescue Daniel and made every effort until sundown to save him. You can imagine what's going on. The one he promoted, now he himself, because of a foolish signature, because of a foolish rash decision that he made, is now going, he's going to have to personally order his execution. The problem was simply not thinking things through. That's the fourth principle about a meaningless life, is a meaningless life does not think things through. You see, a king of Persia, or, the, or of Mede or Persia, was thought to be infallible. And therefore, if he ever signed anything, it couldn't be reversed because that would be an indication or that he was infallible, that he'd made a mistake and had to correct himself, and that would throw off the entire system that is built upon his infallibility. By the way, we certainly have learned in this life to never think that anyone on this earth is infallible, only our living God. They put their hope in this king, even though it was a sham, but all of a sudden, he is in a distressed situation because he made a rash decision and did not think things through. Now, maybe you've been like that before you've made a decision that you thought was great at the time but you look back and it was very foolish. The Bible encourages us to think about our about consequences and about our actions. In Proverbs chapter 14 verse 8, it says the wisdom of the prudent is to give thought to their ways. Matter of fact, at the end of our service today, I'm going to share my heart briefly about a story that you may have read in the newspapers or heard on the news that relates to our church. And one of the things that's caused me to do in these past few days is to simply think about this issue is are we being careful as believers you know the person who is not careful in this life lives with regret we were we went last week to visit our family in the dallas area and we were coming home from a a game late at night on Thursday evening, and we were on the, the large four lane highways in Dallas heading to my mother's house in Fort Worth. And we were going the speed limit, 60 or 70 miles an hour, whatever it was, or in, somewhere in that vicinity. And all of a sudden, we're driving, and <clears throat> it, it felt like the apocalypse was happening, and that Jesus was not riding on a white horse but on a motorcycle. And it was. <laughs> Three motorcycles going as fast as they could with very bad mufflers came right beside us and it was so fast, it scared me to death. And I, and it, the boys were even watching a video and they were like, ah! And my wife took her five minutes to calm down. It was that fast and that loud and that... And Susie kept th- thinking, we're going to pass them on the side of the road any moment. And They were almost going too fast for the cops to ever catch them. But what I was thinking is that that's how many of us walk through this life we're just darting as fast as we can doing our own thing not ever thinking about the consequences and Darius lived with regret simply because he did not think things through Well, that's what a meaningless life looks like. Let's take a moment and look at Daniel's life more closely. And and we're going to see, number two, what a life of meaning and purpose looks like. And first of all, it involves, A, on your outline, a life of meaning brings the Lord into every area of life. We read verse 2 and 3 where Daniel was excellent in his work. And, And sometimes we have our church life and our religious life, And then we have our vocation and our recreation and our family. And we don't integrate our faith into the other areas of our life. We sort of separate them. And I have a question for you this morning. Are you like Daniel? Do you bring the excellence and the character of the Lord with you to work? With you to the neighborhood? With you to the areas where you're involved in? Because a person who has a life of meaning brings the Lord into every aspect of life. And doesn't sort of separate our faith from our other activities. And that's what Daniel said. I want to walk with God and be honest and full of integrity everywhere I go. And everything I'm involved with. B, something else we note about Daniel's life. A life of meaning is hard to bring down. In verse 5 it should excite us. That they said we can't find anything on this guy. He's not a womanizer. He doesn't have a Persian offshore banking. He doesn't fudge on his income tax. He doesn't just cheat just a little bit here when nobody's looking. And, a, and you might look at this and say, you know what, this, this person came out of retirement. He was 83 years old. Many of these people may have known him for a long time and they couldn't find anything at all to bring him down. Now, the, the point is this should inspire us to have that kind of character. I remember several years ago I was dealing with an odd situation in our church in Texas where I was serving and there was a young lady that began to date and got in a relationship with a young man that none of us knew. Her parents had some question about him but he was very spiritual sounding and they began to uh, date and be involved with each other and It was interesting as as the more we got to know this person he what he was was a bit of a spiritual charlatan and exercised some religious power so to speak over over people and her parents wanted her out of the relationship and I was trying to just offer prayer and support to the family well all of a sudden the, the guy was very mad at them and then he got very mad at me and he began to Um, sort of threaten me and say, you know what, I'm going to bring you down, Pastor Cliff. I'm going to get you kicked out of the Southern Baptist Convention. I'm going to make sure that your name is... And, and, you know, I had dealt with some mean people before, but not quite to that level. He was first place in mean people list at that point. And you know what, there was a part of me, as I would read his notes and I began to delete them, I I got scared. I was like, what is this coot going to do? But you know what, I began to get peace once I, I... trusted the Lord uh, with the situation, but I also began thinking, you know, the Lord's going, What's he go- what is he going to find on you that is real? And I began to think about the verse that all of us should take to heart, and that's 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 12, that says this, live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good works and glorify God on the day that he visits us. In other words, we need to live a life before God that is so clean and so pure that they can make their accusations but they won't be right and our life will actually glorify God being ready and waiting for his kingdom to come. And so a life of meaning is hard to bring down. Now a third principle about a life of meaning that it has developed the habit of grateful prayer. Now we read in verse 10 that Daniel heard about the decree. Pray to anybody except King Darius and you get thrown into the lion's den. Well, what would that do to you if you were to read that decree that you're dead if you do this? Daniel paid no attention to the decree. In other words, he had, it was time for prayer. And we see at least three times a day, just like the habit of David in, in Psalm 59, morning, evening, and uh, in noon. Uh, David called out to the Lord. He got down on his knees, and he thanked God. He had a habit of praying, thanking God, asking God for help, and nothing was going to stop him. Why? Because he had developed it into a holy habit. First thing I want to note about verse 10 is that he had something to thank God for no matter what was going on. I I wish we uh, we could listen into his prayer and figure out what he was thanking God for. I'm about to die, but I thank you. You're in control, and I thank you for the way you've allowed me to talk to you, God. Life is full of meaning, and you are worthy of praise. Sometimes when the heat comes and there's trouble, we forget that God's still worthy of praise. God was good when we got a blessing, but all of a sudden God was bad when we got a harsh word. We got a tough day at the office. We got some extremely bad news. No, Daniel had a habit of praying, a habit of thanking God, and it continued. By the way, it's vital that we develop the habit of talking with God every single day. And if that's not a habit of yours, would you begin to ask God for a longing, a desire to be with him, and then begin to discipline yourself? Yes, it will take away from other pursuits, whether it's hobbies or entertainment or sleep. It will take away from something, but it will take away from something that doesn't have ultimate meaning. And you learn to get in God's word and call upon his name, whether you're in the mood or not, whether you feel like it or not, and you will never regret the holy habit of grateful prayer. Now, I love at the end of verse 10, it says this, just as he had done before. And it reminds us, D, under number two, that a life of meaning remains consistent through difficulty have you ever noticed that in difficulty we sometimes change our habits hey you know the heat is on the pressure's on and so i'm going to begin to do things a little bit different i'm going to slack in my spiritual life i'm going to take care of business before i look to the lord And, and he was the same person under distress in difficulty that he was when things were going great and so a life of meaning involves that we are consistent regardless just as he had done before. One final aspect of a life that's meaningful involves E, and that is a life of meaning has a public faith. In verse 10, he prayed in front of the window. Now, of course, this past summer we studied how prayer shouldn't be showy. It shouldn't be something we do to be seen by men. It was the habit of every good Hebrew when they were not in country to bow toward Jerusalem as a reminder of the great history of their faith and the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Well, he wasn't afraid to publicly pray and to be seen and identified as a follower of God. Also in verse 16, when he was taken to the lion's den... Daniel Darius said may your God whom you serve continually rescue you in other words Darius knew That Daniel was a follower of God because he lived out his faith Our faith should not be underground and undercover We have the privilege of telling people about the amazing news of the Lord Jesus and a life of meaning is a life that has a Faith that's a public that's not ashamed to be identified with the Lord Jesus as we think about this powerful passage today What's your life like? Is it one that is signified by these meaningless points that we see in Darius and the workers? Or is your life one full of meaning that has the traits that Daniel had? As we think about this passage, I'd like us to enter into a time of prayer and a time of response. You know, the scripture says in John chapter 10, verse 10, the Lord himself said, I have come that they may have life and may have it to the full or more Abundantly, God wants us to have that life of meaning, and it comes from turning from sin and placing our faith in Christ and continuing to live a life that is for Him. If you've never come to that place in your life where you've made that profession of faith, let today be the day of salvation for you. Living God, we're thankful that we can know you personally. And we ask that you would draw people to your truth and to response in this time in Jesus' awesome and mighty name we pray. Amen.